Drive Time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it's a preview day once again. We have to wait one extra day for game day, but it is Wednesday, which means we'll turn the page and get on to week 14. An introduction to the Titans, critical matchups, keys to victory, a brief hard knocks recap, and much, much more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. So Hard Knocks was last night, and I liked this episode much more in the vein of the first episode than the second one, and that's purely just the sadness of losing Jalen Phillips for the entire season, despite how good the storytelling was. And speaking of that, how great is the storytelling, and how lucky is that that Van Ginkle, with his kids, his lovely wife, the watch party, and then Mr. Hugh just goes off and records a sack and a pick six in the game? Good, or Mr. Wang, I should say, sorry. Uh, awesome, but it makes the hair on my arm stand up just thinking about it. In fact, the entire game portion did that as well. I mean, the deep balls, coach saying, they're cheating wallow. Hmm, let's go then. Then Yahtzee. And then, of course, Tyreek having no idea what happened on the second touchdown, only to be shown the tablet and the immediate Mia culpa. That's perfect. Where's that ball, Tyreek? That's perfect. How can you not love that? But to me, I think the best part of the show was the in-depth analysis of Tua's game and his mechanics. Coach comparing the throwing motion to a golf swing. You know your boy loved that. The Drew Brees mentioned, come on, what was Tua's comp out of college? Left-handed Drew Brees? You love to see it. His ability to rip it without a real stride. That's part of the mechanism that makes him one of the quickest releases the game has ever seen, right? But man... The channeled energy stuff. This is exactly how you want your quarterback to be wired. There's those hairs standing up again. I cannot wait to watch this dude play in these big games down the stretch because I think you're going to get the best version of Tua Tungavailoa within those games. Finally, my other favorite part, this is why I try to hand out six game balls on radio every week and Seth and OJ give me crap for it because I can never choose. But McDaniel at halftime of a game they lead 31-7, to he says this. Let's press forward. Let's show how we're different from everyone. Not let the gas off and take pride in how we play football together. How about that? I mean, that's the kind of mindset that wins championships, is it not? It impairs so well with his team meeting speech earlier in the episode about how the opponent doesn't matter because that's not what every day is about, and that's so good. You don't have to worry about what your opposition is doing. You have to focus on yourself, and if you approach every day with that same singular mindset, you're going to put yourself in position by the end of the year to be in the position that you want to be in. And he's so focused, Mike is, on the grander journey of it all, and he uses that phrase all the damn time, and I truly believe it plays a major, major role in why you've had this team come out and play teams that they're supposed to beat And not just beat them, but beat them by this much. 50 points against Denver, 15 points against the Giants, 21 against the Panthers, 14 against the Patriots, who just beat the Chargers, or lost the Chargers by six points. Uh, 21 versus the Jets, 30 versus the Commanders. Literally the only game that didn't go that way in terms of like lopsided potential scores was the Raider game. Because back in week one, the Chargers were a Super Bowl pick. The Patriots in week two were coming off a game that lost to the defending NFC champion Eagles by just five points. Like after that, you've pretty much demolished every single lower-level team you've seen this year. So I think it's something they emphasize, and I think it's something the players 
absolutely unequivocally buy in on. Let's actually go back to Coach on the opening speech that he gave in front of the team and the quote that I love more than anything else. We, we waste no day because that's literally our formula. We don't give a fuck about who we're playing. That's not the objective. The objective is to progress our game so when it's elimination time, it's fucking on. We have no regrets. So that'll be the formula when they take on the Titans on Monday Night Football. Let's go ahead and get into this. Monday Night Football. First time since the Saints game. The Ian Book game back in 2021 for the Miami Dolphins on Monday night. Can you believe that? Gosh, that seems like a different lifetime ago. It's the first home Monday night game since 2017 when Kenyon Drake scored two touchdowns and Xavier Howard picked off Tom Brady twice as we upset the Patriots. Gosh, another lifetime ago, but we're back and a win keeps us atop the AFC standings. So let's go ahead and get to know the four and eight Titans. But first, Hard Rock Stadium hits different at night. I've always said that, I've said it for three or four times now, especially when the forecast calls for nighttime temperatures of 70 degrees, a slight breeze, a small chance of rain and a cloudy evening. Perfect football weather here in South Florida. And the Titans are in a bit of a transition period. The season began looking like we'd see the first return of Ryan Tannehill to Hard Rock Stadium, but they have since made the switch to second-round draft pick Will Levis. They traded longtime All-Pro Kevin Bayard at the time, the deadline, and running the game that we saw Derrick Henry go no lower than 96 rushing yards per game since 2018, which also coincides with Tannehill's arrival. This year is all the way down to just 70 per game, 26 yards off of that pace from when he was peak Derrick Henry. His yards per attempt are right in line with the last three years, 4.3, 4.4, now 4.3 again, but they have not been able to run the ball as often. They're down 16 attempts per game compared to 23 over the previous three years. And the scoreboard dictates that. I'm sure the tread on the tires dictates that a little bit. And their number two running back, Tajay Spears, who's a phenomenal looking prospect and pro player now is pretty good as well. So he dictates that too, but you have to change. You have changes all over the roster for this Titans team. The offensive line has been completely remade the last two seasons. The receiver room underwent a total overhaul post AJ Brown trade, which I'm sure they regret that one. Now let's put it this way. It's a completely different team than the one we saw one week after that Monday night game against the Saints in Tennessee against the Titans. That team earned the one seed that year, and evidence of a transitional period enter this game at 4-8 and eight off of a season where they finished with seven consecutive losses following a 7-3 and three start. So it's been a rough road for them in the last, you know, 13 months or so. What a stark contrast. So when Tannehill took over back in week 6 of 2019 to week 12 of last year, when the losing streak began, they were 36 and 17 in that stretch. That's like what the Dolphins have done the last couple of years, right? Since that, <clears throat> four wins and 15 losses. They're coming off a brutal overtime loss that probably removed any semblance of hope for a late season surge of the playoffs. It wasn't going to happen anyways, but they beat the Panthers a week ago by a touchdown, man. Like, ugh. They had lopsided losses of the Jags and Bucks before that. They lost to Pittsburgh. <laughs> Pittsburgh by four. And Levis, his first start, and he threw four touchdowns in his first game against the Falcons in that first start. So we'll get to him in the tape study portion of the podcast. Let's go ahead first and do a quick rundown of how the roster got to the current state that it's in. Tannehill signed as a backup to Mariota back in 2019. Willis was a third-round draft pick in that quarterback room in 2022. And then Will Levis 
is the second round draft pick this year. So heavy investment into the position and for a team that funnels its offense through the running backs, right? Henry and Spears are the only backs on the active roster. They do have some practice squad call-ups they'll make, but it's not a name worth noting. They used to do a, uh, they used the pick they got for AJ Brown to get Traylon Burks and he hasn't worked out the way they hoped he would. He actually just returned from a long absence with an injury he suffered in that Pittsburgh game. They brought in Nuke Hopkins this off season and the neck, neck, Nick Westbrook Akina has kind of been the hidden gem of that group for them. I love their fourth-round pick from last year, tight end Chig Aquanco. He's kind of got Charles Clay vibes to him. This line is where things really got flipped, though, if you ask me. They went from in that game in 2021 against us when they ran the ball down our throats with Derrick Henry and uh, Deontay Foreman. They went from Taylor Lewan, Roger Saffold, Ben Jones, and Jack Conklin to having to replace all four of those guys over the last two years. They paid Andre Dillard big money, which... If you're a Cougs fan, you know that he was one of the biggest busts in Washington State history. Like, he got drafted in the first round by Philly, and it hasn't worked out, even though he got a big second contract from the Titans. He's been replaced by left tackle Jalen Duncan, a sixth-round rookie this year. Your big free agent signing got replaced by a sixth-round rookie. Yikes! They took Pete Skaronsky in the first round last year, Dylan Raddins in the second round two years back. Neither of those have worked out either. But the best one of the group is 2020 UDFA Aaron Brewer in the pivot. I think it's proof how difficult it is to rebuild an offensive line in this league. Such a tough position to find actual hits at. The defensive line is opposite. They invested and made it into a top-flight unit. They paid Danico Autry, who's a stud, an absolute stud. They nailed their first-round pick back in 2019 with Jeffrey Simmons, though he's not going to play in the game. And Harold Landry, a premier edge rusher, or he was before an injury last year, kind of reverted his skill set back a little bit. Former second-round draft pick who should have gone in the top 20 of that year's class. I love the Aziz Al-Shair signing, the former Niners linebacker. He's been an absolute hit for them. And as we mentioned, they traded the quarterback of the defense, Kevin Bayard, and had some rough selections in the secondary as well. Christian Fulton's had a rough year. Roger McCreary's probably the best of the bunch. And then Sean Murphy Bunting was a free agent acquisition from Tampa Bay, and he has not worked out at all. So that's the story on the Titans. Let's do some quick storylines here before we take our first break. Some home cooking. It's been two weeks since we last played at Hard Rock Stadium. And in games started by Tua Tungavailoa, the Dolphins are 18-4 and in that building. They've won 17 of the last 19 overall. They'll play four of the final five in this building. And if they win each game, well, that means that every game the rest of the way until the freaking Super Bowl would be in our building. Keep holding serve at home, win one road game in Baltimore, and you'll play in Vegas. It's as simple as that. And starts this week against the Tennessee Titans, the Tickle Monsters. David Long sees his former team. I'm very excited about this matchup for him because, one, I always look forward to seeing the energy that guys have in those spots, and David's never short on juice. But there was some consternation over his departure in Tennessee because Mike Vrabel kind of called him out last year. So I'm excited for David Long to go smack somebody in their face mask as a result of that. And then, of course, the pursuit of awards and accolades. Tyreek needs to average 104 yards per game to hit 2,000. That's very doable, especially when he goes for 200 this week. A little preview there for that. Um, and then Tua in the thick of the MVP discussion. I was having this conversation with Kyle Krabs, the great Locked On Dolphins host, and I said... If we win the final five games and Tua just simply repeats his pro-rated production right now, would that make him league MVP? And Kyle said, we'll probably have to factor in what Tyreek's involvement is in those final five games. And it just stinks that Tua's going to have to essentially, 
you know, he's the only quarterback in the league that's going to be able to, people are going to say, well, his receiver is the, is the main reason it happens. Like, they don't do it for Brock Purdy even in San Francisco. So we'll see about that. But facing a defense that struggles to get pressure, even with Jeffrey Simmons, without him on the field, there's a chance to continue pumping up those stats and put yourself in position to make that push for record-breaking numbers. Of course, you won't get MVP recognition if you don't perform well in those final games. But over these next two games against two bad teams, a chance to boost the numbies to put you in a spot to go make a run, to go win those games, and put yourself in a very lasting impression in those voters' minds with the stats to back it up. He might have to do it, though, in three quarters of this game because Tua, like at Alabama, plays a lot of games where he doesn't see much action in the fourth quarter. That's all I got right there. Let's actually keep going here before the first break and get into this Titans defense versus the Miami offense. And guys, it's not going to be pretty. I told you it wouldn't be pretty in Washington. It's not going to be pretty here in Hard Rock Stadium. So their defense looks like this. Amani Hooker is their probably top defensive back right now with Bayard going out uh, to Philly. But he plays 88% of the snaps. And then Kayvon Wallace plays 54. He's been the primary replacement for, uh, excuse me, for Kevin Byard, um, but he, he's like a strong safety type where that's kind of what Hooker plays, and Byard was the traffic cop kind of in the back part of the defensive backfield, so the explosive play rate has gone through the roof. More on that in a moment. And then Terrell Edmonds was a free agent acquisition. He's played 15% of the snaps. They'll go big nickel sometimes, but not too frequently. The cornerbacks, I don't think Christian Fulton's going to play. He has a hamstring injury, and if he does play... <laughs> Uh, wrong team to face with a hamstring banged up. Um, Caleb Farley's out for the year on IR. So they are, we say this like, I almost feel every week, like teams that play us are often depleted at cornerback. And that's not a good thing to do <laughs> against Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Uh, Sean Murphy bunting 75% of the snaps. Roger McCreary also 75, though he primarily plays inside. I imagine you'll see lots more of Elijah Molden in the slot role. Former first round draft pick who's been a little bit up and down for them. But if they can't get Fulton to go, I think McCreary kicks outside and Molden plays the slot inside. As far as their front, Danico Autry's a 66% snap taker, but out is Jeffrey Simmons, who's an 85% snap taker on the interior. He's like Christian Wilkins, man, the same player basically at this point of their careers. Uh, Tyre Tart's a good player, 40%, and then Pecco, 40% defensive tackle as well. Off the edge, Harold Landry plays three quarters of the snaps, and then Arden Key plays 63% of the snaps. And Autry plays inside and outside, so he's a little bit more edge there as well with Tart and Pecco playing the defensive tackle roles there. But Landry, man, he just hasn't had the same juice since the injury he suffered last year, where Arden Key kind of reminds me a little bit of like, remember peak... Uh, Alden Smith for the Niners. I'm not saying he's the same player, but his build and style is kind of like that length and speed and get off and all that fun stuff. And then the, the linebackers are Aziz Al-Shair, a really good player from the formerly of the 49ers that I like a lot. And Jack Gibbons steps into the role that Monty Rice previously filled, but he has been released since uh, I wrote the podcast script. So uh, no more Bayard, no Jeffrey Simmons. Um, let's see. And then Kayvon Wallace took over the starting safety spot. Caleb Farley out. Christian Fulton Hammy. Some personnel usage. 34 front is 6%. 43 front is a 10% usage. So you're in your base about 15% of the time. It's pretty typical across the league. Your nickel package is 62%. But how about this? 22% of the time they are in dime. So take linebackers off the field. It's probably a little bit of a, a reaction to the fact that their edge group is not very deep. And really the defensive tackle spot, especially with Simmons down, is not super deep either. So they'll roll out all these defensive backs. But again, Again, I just told you about three guys that could be out of this game from the defensive backfield. If that's the case and you run six defensive backs, you were on your ninth defensive back in the game. 
is there a team in the NFL that would feel good about having their ninth player on defense play 25% of the snaps? I don't think so. Def- defensive backfield, I should say. That's defense. Defensive backfield. Anyway, they've struggled with pressure, and, or against the pass, I should say, really, really poorly lately. Some quick numbers. They have the 13th highest man coverage rate. You can't do that against us, 31%. And they have the 25th highest blitz rate at 23%. But their pressure rate is 12th best at 38%. But without Isaiah, without, uh, Isaiah Simmons, without... Jeffrey Simmons, that will reduce big time. He is the he's the straw that stirs the drink, man. They've allowed a passing EPA of 15.7 the last five weeks. That's the Bayard trade, which is 31st behind only Washington, who's at 31.3. But we literally put that on them last week. Half of those points were because of us. So you could see Tennessee in that same exact spot after we get done with them. All right, let's take a little break right here and come back and wrap up the Titans defense versus the Dolphins offense. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. We left off talking about the Titans passing defense. Let's go ahead and talk about the characters here a little bit. I mentioned Christian Fulton. I, I just doubt that he plays, even if he does with the hamstring, it's bad news. And then Sean Murphy bunting is their kind of speedster, change of direction guy. But he doesn't like play the game smart enough to be able to handle someone like Tyreek Hill, much like you saw Quan Martin <laughs> in the slot last week trying to cover Tyreek. It didn't work out. But I do get the sense that he's the guy you would put around Tyreek. Um, just because he's the fastest and quickest, but you probably should double him. So I think that, again, another opportunity here for Waddle to get to get some of his production. But also, this defense, it's not like Washington's in terms of how disjointed Washington's consistently was. Well, I told you guys, right? It reminds me so much of that Chargers defense, and what do we have but busts and terrible structures, and you're going to cheat towards Waddle, not Tyreek? All right, go for it, guys. Like, this is not that but there are a lot of busts and miscommunications on the back end that I think are more of the player responsibility opposed to bad scheme from the defensive coaching staff. So I'm curious how they want to attack the Dolphins because Roger McCreary is like their most physical Cater Kohu type, but anybody we put in the slot is a mismatch for him too. So truth be told, I mean, it's sloppy. There's lots of errors, tons of busts. Guys cannot run with speed. They don't communicate since the Bayard trade. And if we've learned one thing about this Dolphins offense, it's that if they get a bust, they're going to exploit it. Amani Hooker's been awesome for them, but I just think that you really, really, really feel the absence of Bayard on the back end, hence the EPA number I mentioned and how much that jumped. There should be a chance for Tyreek, Waddle, and Tua to all go off. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and stamp it right here. I think that Tyreek and Waddle both get 100 yards. And remember on Hard Knocks when McDaniel said he thought that Tua was going to go off for 450? He would have if he finished the whole game and had a couple of drops that didn't happen. 
But I think it's going to happen in this one here because I think you're going to see lots of explosive plays, and he's probably going to have to get it done in three quarters, but I think Tua can go over 400 yards in this game as long as we're buttoned up and sharp. It's very possible. The run defense has been a lot better for the Titans. 12th in EPA over that same timeline. They allowed a couple of explosives against the Colts that made the total look gaudy but they will get their wins. One of the top 10 success rates against the run in the NFL. But also, who hits more big runs than A-Chan and Mostert? So like, cool, you can win seven of the 10 rundowns, but on the three that we win, if it's a 70-yard touchdown, you lose. So our chances to get out in the perimeter and find those tiny creases. I saw somebody compare Devon A-Chan to Flat Stanley. That's perfect. Like the way he can squeeze through those gaps and hit those field-flipping plays, I think Miami has an opportunity in the running game for that. And then uh, no Simmons in this one. They've just waved Monty Rice. Uh, Al Shire has been awesome. And then Jack Gibbons is kind of the guy that made Rice expendable. He's got 30 stops, which is second on the team behind Al Shire. But there's not a lot of speed in that position. Like, they are thumpers. And I think we can make life hell on those guys on the outside running game paired with the middle of the field passing game. You always have to be concerned about the Titans' pass rush. And again, Simmons being down changes the equation a lot. But they have some... You know, heavy five technique slash three technique types, kind of like we have with Wilkins and Sealer. Autry's a monster. You got to get him blocked. I like Tart's game. Arden Key, long, explosive off the edge. Fun matchup there for Austin Jackson. And then Landry usually rushes off the left. So it'd be nice if Teron Armstead can go. But quite frankly, I ain't worried about it, dog. Like this offensive line with this quarterback and this head coach, we tend to win those matchups against opposing pass rushes. Typically, no matter how good they are, unless we get way behind the scoreboard, that changes things. But that ain't happening in this one, dog. Let's go ahead and pivot here before our second break and talk about Dolphins defense versus Titans offense because I did a lot more notes and study on this because, well, truth be told, guys, Titans uh, defense is not good and Miami's going to put up a 40-burger in this one again. So Dolphins defense. So their quarterback is Will Levis. You know about that. Nuke Hopkins plays 70% of the snaps on offense. Nick Westbrook-Akina does as well. Traylon Burks has played 30%, although he is the two when he's healthy. He missed like five games. Chris Morris played half the snaps. On the inside, Chig Okwanko is one of the best tight ends in the NFL. He plays two-thirds of the snaps. And then Trayvon Wesco plays 50% of the snaps as well. They have one of the most 12 personnel usages in the NFL. And then Kyle Phillips plays a little bit inside and outside, but he plays 20% of the snaps. Kind of like his game a little bit. I mentioned Skaronski. He's the left guard. Brewers, the center. Brunskill, the right guard. Jalen Duncan and Dylan Raddance are the tackles. And then Derek Henry plays 53% of the snaps with Spears playing 52. So I mentioned the tackles there, right? Chris Hubbard was signed to start for them, and Nicholas Petit-Frere was also a potential starter going into the year. They're both on IR. So you're down to backup tackles and Andre Dillard, who I guess was signed to be the starter to begin with over those first two guys, but he got benched and replaced. So like he wasn't even good enough to be the fourth offensive tackle on this team. Like, yikes, go Cougs. Uh, personnel usage, they run 11 personnel, 52% of the time. That's one of the lowest marks in the NFL. That's one rec- or one running back, one tight end, three receivers. They don't have three receivers to roll out with, so it's typically 12 personnel, 31% of the time, 13 personnel, three tight ends, 6%, and they will get Henry and Spears in the game about 7% of the time. All their two-back personnel is with those two guys, so it's heavy personnel, right? Physical football team. It speaks to the makeup of their roster, how they built it, and their core principles, because when this team was competing for AFC championships and divisional round victories, they beat you on both sides of the line of scrimmage. They ran the football effectively, and they had one of the best deep play-action passing games off of that. A lot has changed, but at their core, that's who they aspire to be, and we've seen it this year. When the Dolphins can get on top of teams like that, 
it is so difficult for those teams to come back and beat you. They operate from shotgun 55% of the time. That's 29th in the NFL. Again, a Derrick Henry offense, right? They want to go I form or not I formation, single back set, under center, play action, game off of Henry, and run the ball a lot. It just hasn't worked for them. They're third and two tight end personnel at 40%, and they're 12th and two back personnel there at 7%. So let's go ahead and take our last break right here, come back on the other side, finish up this side of the football. We'll talk about what's at stake. We'll go ahead and talk about the keys to victory and make our prediction in this one. All that next Draft Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Let's jump into the tape here on the Titans offense because I watched a lot of it because it's a new quarterback that I'm not that familiar with and I wanted to see how things have changed going from Ryan Tannehill to Will Levis. And for his personal scouting report, I can tell you this, dude can flat out rip it from any platform, any arm angle, great base, great arm strength and great arm talent, really good core and balance, has some jump throws in there, lets it rip at times, at least early on in his uh, tenure here with some anticipation, with some color in his face. Now, that was all the Pittsburgh game that I was getting excited about his tape. And a little bit of the Atlanta game too, although the four touchdown game, like that tape was not as good as what you might expect a four touchdown game to look like because the placement is not great. And he doesn't have great separators on the perimeter either. So even at this stage of his career, DeAndre Hopkins is not getting separation like at all. I like Kyle Phillips finding soft spots, but I like Cater even better in the slot. And you know how I feel about Ramsey and X. I think this game has quarterback indecision written all over it. Either indecision in taking sacks and kind of turtling against the pressure or throwing into covered windows that would lead to a lot of hands on footballs. And the offense funnels through the aforementioned Hopkins more so than Derrick Henry now. And they'll move him around backfield X, Z slot. Like it doesn't matter. They want to scheme stuff up for DeAndre Hopkins and Levis will attach his eyes to number 10. The Steelers would like cap or double or bracket Hopkins in that game. And that's when Levis would have opportunities to attack other people on the field, but he didn't do it frequently enough for me to like note it, if that makes sense. Now, this Pittsburgh defense is criminally poorly constructed year after year. Like they have superstar talent, but they wind up with a Sam linebacker running vertical with DeAndre Hopkins. And in fact, a throwback to you locked on Dolphins listeners. When I said that Minka Fitzpatrick's going to be in for the ultimate surprise when he goes to Pittsburgh's defense and has Keith Butler having him run, you know, having, <laughs> was it not Larry Foote? Who was the linebacker? Maybe it was Larry Foote. Larry Foote running, you know, 13 reps on Keenan Allen back to back to back to back for like a 16 catch day that he had in that one game. It's not Keith Butler anymore, but it's still very similar in how they construct things. So like, you know, for this particular look, 
Levis is able to see double coverage, leaving a strong safety to run out to the wheel. And it's like a three-way go from the field. Like it's, it's just very clear indicators for where the football has to go. So a muddier picture from a guy like, I don't know, Vic Fangio with better zone match concepts. That's where he struggled. And that's who he gets on Monday night football. He will throw like these predetermined shots to DeAndre Hopkins. And if he makes that choice on Ramsey or even X, you're going to be paying for it. Night, night time, son. It looks to me like there's a good amount of predetermination and it can lead to big plays when you hit it, like in the Falcons game when they were not ready for it in his first career start. But when you don't, when you don't, it can go the other way very quickly. Honestly, watching him, he's a more gifted Sam Howell in terms of power in his arm, but less creativity outside the pocket, a little bit better pocket management to throw on time inside the pocket, but it's not, it's not pro level yet. It's no, it's nowhere close to pro level yet. He's a, he's getting there. I I think he will get there eventually. And that Falcons game, he just was like kind of throwing the ball up, like on throws. It was like, no, no, no. Yes. Like those type of throws. And it worked in the first half against Pittsburgh as well, but it's been a wall ever since then. And JT O'Sullivan on the recap of the Pittsburgh game said that it's just not Sunday footballs. And these are not throws you can make against NFL defenses and NFL speed. And the concepts don't match up to what like typically you would see from certain sets and certain looks. So it's tough, man. It, it gives your coverage a chance when he throws it, and when he doesn't, well, now it's pass rush time, baby, because his pass protection has been awful, abysmal in front of him, and he'll slide the wrong direction. Like, I don't think he has full autonomy of the offense. I think that Cater, if Brandon Jones gets reps as the nickel safety, David Long, his blitzes, all these guys should be a big part of sending an extra rusher to get into Will Levis's face. And then as far as the offensive line goes, left tackle position, yikes. Yikes, guys. And then the right guard position had some real struggle. I think there's some like old William in terms of the lack of balance and the feet getting stagnant at the punch. And that's what Christian and Zach like continuously, they they harass players like that because those guys can't handle someone who's technically as refined as a Christian Wilkins or a Zach Sealer. So I think once again, I think your guards are going to get beat up by 94 and 92. I expect both guys to have big nights collapse in the pocket. How about the pass block efficiency of this offensive line? This is going to make you guys shudder and think back to like the 2015 Miami Dolphins. So you ready? Jalen Duncan has a 90.5 pass block efficiency. He replaced Andre Dillard, who might have been the worst left tackle in the NFL this year when he played, who had a 90.7. It was better with Dillard. Bradley Chubb, massive, massive game incoming. Duncan allowed nine pressures last week and three sacks allowed. Yikes. Skaronsky for the left guard. If you want to be a good left guard, 98's the number, 96.8. Brewer, if you want to be a good center, 99's the number, 96.7. Brunskill, 96.7. How about Dylan Raddins? About 96 is good for a tackle. 93.5. Guys, they don't have a single good pass protector on this offensive line. Those at the tackle positions are combined for the lowest in the NFL, and Chubb has the fourth highest pass rush win rate among all edges, and y'all saw what Mr. Hugh Wang did on Sunday against the Commanders. Of course, Derrick Henry is the man in Tennessee, as we mentioned. The offense still goes through the run game and heavily through his production, but you'll need your defensive line to eat up blocks 
no problem. And then David Long and Duke rally a step up. And that's kind of the one area I might look at because they're not big linebackers by NFL standards, but they're fast and aggressive. And if you can hit Henry before he gets a full head of steam, that's how you cut him down. I cannot wait to watch how these guys attack Henry. I think it's the focal point of the game. Javon, Deshaun, the backers, fun matchup there. Henry has 42 missed tackles forced this year, so he's not fallen off in that regard at all for 3.2 yards after contact. I think the explosiveness is down a little bit, so not the big runs off those missed tackles anymore. And then Ty J Spears, uh, he's a stud too. 21 missed tackles, 3.42 after contact. I was curious to dive into some of the numbers here regarding the six quarters that Levis played, going back to the quarterback now, against Atlanta and Pittsburgh versus the rest. And I think the tape says here that there was muddier pictures. People got more tape on him and made some more adjustments. And there have been more throws where it almost looks like it's predetermined. Like I'm going to throw the ball to DeAndre Hopkins on that speed out right now. There's no question about what I'm doing here. And throws that you would just assume are non-starters based on the rotation of the defense. And it still goes that way. Like a play action where he rolls to the right and throws a vertical back left. Like Bubba, we can't make those throws, big dog. And I think this graph I found explains it all perfectly. Again, I said, like, the no, 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 yes type of throws. Those were all over the Atlanta game. He threw four touchdowns. Great start, right? And then he had some in Pittsburgh where it's like, this is pretty impressive. And there were some straight up, like, godlike throws in those games where he showed you why he was considered a potential top 10 pick last year. He fell, but he was thought in that vein in terms of the talent. But since, you know, after the Pittsburgh game, where I thought the turnover-worthy plays had increased. Only four teams throw less on expected drop-back attempts. This is a summer sports analytics post here. But these teams are Detroit, who Dan Campbell wants to bite your kneecaps, New Orleans, whose passing game has been broken all year long, Vegas, who we know how they want to play the game, and Denver, who doesn't trust Russell Wilson until it's third and a mile. So I think that's partially the Titans' identity here, right? Wanstead ball. You would always do that with Derrick Henry, but I think it's equal parts playing a rookie quarterback and him working through those growing pains that literally every rookie quarterback has to go through at some point. And some of the indecision in the offense is evident by this. Their 41.4% pressure rate allowed is 29th in the NFL. In fact, teams have been heating up Will Levis because, again, the Blitz doesn't do well with it. The Falcons, uh, he went four for six for nine yards against the Blitz with two sacks. That's negative total yards there against the Blitzes. Pittsburgh went seven for 14, a lot more Blitzes for 59 yards and two more sacks. Tampa Bay said 24 Blitzes, 13 for 24, 132, uh, two sacks here again. Jacksonville, four for five, 18 yards and two sacks. That's negative yards against the Blitz and also a touchdown pass in there as well. Um, three for seven against Carolina for 47 yards. That was his one good, like, YPA against Blitz, and then Tampa, four for seven for 36 yards, a touchdown and two sacks. So he's never thrown a pick against the Blitz, but he's good for about two sacks a game and the YPA at 4.68 over those games. I, th- I think it shows up on tape, so we'll see how they defend it. But the hardest part about going from college to the pros at quarterback is the timing of the game, and it's why rookie QBs usually are up there in the sack percentage category, right? Among qualifying quarterbacks, here's the top of the list. Zach Wilson, who could have seen that coming? Uh, then Bryce Young, then Sam Howell, then Russell Wilson. That's always been his game. And then Will Levis at 9.3%. It's literally all the young quarterbacks and Russell Wilson in there. A few more tidbits. They haven't won on the road with Levis. They're 0-3. They're 2-1 at home. They average 12 points per game on the road. Good luck. We allow like 10 points a game here at Hard Rock. I don't know the number, but it's close to that. Uh, two touchdowns, two picks, one fumble lost in those three games. He has three touchdowns and four giveaways over his last five games and has been sacked 19 times since week eight. That's the 
the third most. My prediction on defense is that Ramsey or Howard will get a pick in this game on a ball intended for DeAndre Hopkins. Also, we sack the ish out of Will Levis. We limit the run game and really put the screws of the offense. Chubb has multiple sacks, 1.5 or more in this one. I think this game looks more like the Jets game for the Titans offense than the Commanders, where we're great on defense. Both are great, but they like will not move the ball until the fourth quarter and mop up time. So that's the Titans offense. How much fun was that for me to study, do you think? Uh, versus Dolphins defense. Let's go ahead and take a look at what's at stake. It's officially on, baby. It's December football. They're all as important as they can be. And when you hold the top spot, you dictate what happens. It doesn't matter what happens beyond you if you take care of business. So you will not be budged off that top spot as long as you keep on winning. Since the game is on Monday, we'll probably lose the top spot in the conference for the day unless the Rams can upset the Ravens. Crazier things for sure, but it's your chance to take care of business, get to 10 wins, which is probably the magic number to qualify for the postseason. But of course, we have much higher goals than that. It's a conference game, and that's the reason we're currently on top of the Ravens. In fact, since they're playing the Rams, their conference record will stand pat at 6-3. and three. If we win, we'll go to 7-2 and two in the AFC, but then also we play head-to-head in Week 17, so it's irrelevant. That's why we've been talking about it. Uh, last week's win pushed Miami's playoff odds on every single model over 95%. This win would push it even higher, but again, higher goals. So what's at stake? The number one seed. My three keys to victory. Number one, they're going to be as simple as week, guys. Number one, stop the run. A rookie quarterback offense that tries to not hide the fact that they want to run the football all game long will run the ball in expected pass situations. Take that away from them. Create third and longs, pass rush situations, and you will generate takeaways, and this game will get ugly fast. Number two, get the ball out quick. The best thing the Titans do is rush the quarterback with four men down, but of course, no Simmons in the game. Quite frankly, guys, I had to find things to talk about for keys because... It's not going to be close. And two is a master of the quick game. Mike schemes up quick throws, and it affords our playmakers opportunities. I expect Waddle, Hill, and HN to all have monster games. Number three, and this is just for our own purposes, play a clean game. We saw how dangerous this team can be when they don't turn the ball over and they only have two penalties. Doing that two games in a row, I think, would develop a nice rhythm for how to accomplish that and confidence to replicate that going forward. So some areas of concern, I don't have any. I have nothing. Uh, Areas to exploit awful offensive line play, a quarterback who's kind of playing effort ball and a defense that has just become a shell of itself. My prediction, maybe I'll do this when we have the buy, the buy come playoff time. <laughs> but I, th- I need to go back and listen to some old score predictions because I've been pretty on, man. Like last week with my coup de gras, I think I said 42-17. Maybe they scored a late touchdown, 42-24. But 45-15, like that's pretty damn close. And I, I've had one of my better years picking the games. I think it's the preamble to say... I'm going 46 to 10, and I want your buy-in on that. I think we go up and down the field. I think we get explosive touchdowns. I think we get takeaways. I think we take away the run. I think that they have single-digit first downs, and we completely blast, blast an inferior opponent. So, man, fun stuff, man. We have a lot more to come here. Teron Davenport tomorrow from the Titans will be on the show. Lewis Riddick on Friday. We also have some media coverage stuff on Saturday no podcast, but just want to get, let you guys know we have press conferences on Saturday to keep an eye on. And also, vote for your favorite Miami Dolphins Pro Bowlers right now up on NFL.com. Let's get those guys all into the Pro Bowl. Let's get Miami, you know, double-digit Pro Bowlers. Why the hell not? We can do it. Tua, Tyreek, Waddle, Jackson, Connor, Rob, Achan, Raheem, X, Jalen Ramsey, Bradley Chubb. 
Javon Holland, let's go ahead and get those guys in the Pro Bowl. In the meantime, going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Follow me on social at Winkle NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with my guys, Seth and Juice, Brandon Fields up this week. You don't want to miss that. The YouTube channel for media availabilities and Dolphins today. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Caroline Cameron, Daddy's coming home. Happy birthday, Cameron. Love you, buddy. 